You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. Advent is the Christian celebration of Jesus's first coming, which we celebrate as as Christmas, and it's the hopeful expectation that Jesus will be true to his word and will come again, a second Advent, a second coming, the return of Christ. And during Advent, we grow in our understanding of these two comings of Christ, and we strengthen our faith with four gospel themes. We've been doing this as Christians for a thousand years. It's hope, peace, love, and joy. And we name the series Singing with the Saints to help us realize that God's people have always been singing. They've always been looking forward to Christ, and now we look forward and back to Christ. And our worship, where we set our gaze, actually forms our heart. What you worship, what you meditate on, it forms your soul. It makes you different. And to be honest, fam, it's been a few rough years. The suffering and uncertainty of COVID-19, the societal and political crises, the economic and educational upheavals. It is one of the most uncertain and up and down seasons in recent American history. And we can see the effects. It's drained a lot of people of hope. And it breaks my heart for non-Christians to see them struggle with hopelessness. And it leads to extremist thinking or just shutting down. But for Christians, these difficult times, they may have revealed in you and me that our hope has been in other things than Jesus. And it gives us this clear opportunity to take our hope out of other things and place our hope firmly in Jesus alone. We're still concerned about the many real problems of our world. We still have to bear with our own sufferings, but we're not crushed. It doesn't disorient us and make us lost, but makes us more certain that we have a different destination. And this is where God's word guides us today, that we would learn to sing, sing church from a heart of hope because our hope is in an unchanging, unbreakable, victorious Jesus. In the Psalm 84 is God's Old Testament people marching towards Jerusalem, marching to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. It's likely an annual trip for them or it's part of one of the many festivals that the Old Testament describes. And for us, we must now remember that Christ is our temple. He's the temple. There is no temple in Jerusalem. If you go, it's not there. It was destroyed in 70 AD, as Christ predicted. And Christ declared himself, this temple will be torn down and raised up in three days. No one really understood what he was saying, but he was talking about his own resurrection to be the new center of worship for the universe unto God. And the news gets even better. Because the New Testament clearly describes that Jesus is the temple, but also because you're a member of Christ's body, you're connected to Christ spiritually. If you're in Christ, you are part of the temple too. 
In some wild way, worship went from one physical location to now every heart that belongs to Christ is a place that can worship God. And listen to the magic and mystery and beauty of the New Testament here. 1 Peter 2.5 says this, you, you church, are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. You have a place to be fitted together to become a place of worship for God. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the, med- med- the mediation, the saving work of Jesus, the gospel, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. That's both of our lives. You can look at Romans 12, but it's no less than our literal worship and singing. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So now you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of the family and together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Look what it says. It says we're carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles, that's everyone who's not of Hebrew or Jewish descent, are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. The gospel has changed the center of worship to be Jesus in your heart and in a mystical way that we're supposed to fit together as living stones to be like this pile of stones, this temple when we gather to bring worship unto God. That's why it's cool to worship alone. It can be powerful to do it, but there's something magical when we do it together. We don't need a Jerusalem. We don't need a temple. And these verses are written to local churches just like ours. We think they're written to somewhere in the space, but it's written to the Ephesians. With the church, we're probably bigger than the church of Ephesians was when it was written. These are truths for you. These are gifts for us to unwrap and to live. And we worship in all we do for sure. All of life is worship. When we obey Jesus at work, when we drive, when we live, when we eat, when we drink, when we date, when we relate, when we spend, when we parent, that's worship. But we are saved to be worshipers. We have a role as priests and worships to give God not less singing, but more. To obey Ephesians 5, but obey the long 3,000 years of the Psalms to now of a singing and worshiping people. Not because we have to, because we want to because God has gifts for you in the worship of him. It's not just for the elders or Pastor Justin's or or our talented worship leaders. If you are in Christ, then Psalm 84 is for you. And this Psalm needs a little translating though. We've had a Jesus who's come. And so as we look at Psalm 84, to let it be this gospel guide for us, We need to see when it says Zion, that's another word for Jerusalem and the spiritual Jerusalem in heaven or temple or courts of the Lord. Anytime you see that, it means this anytime you're in the presence of God and ultimately heaven to be with God. When it mentions the anointed one, our shield, our son, this is ultimately Jesus, our Messiah, our true king, our protector, our provider. And I want you to wonder at this. When you read and obey the psalm, you're stepping in to about 3,000 years of God's people worshiping 
by these very words. Sometimes our faith can feel disconnected from history. Like it's like, I don't know, I have my parents and and how they raised me and then it's me. It's like, no, this stretches from faithful saints from even before Jesus's first coming who've been worshiping and worshiping across all nations to bring the gospel to you, to bring you to God as God works. The worship culture we're trying to build its citizens isn't preference-based, but a biblical, historical reality of following the living God, a matter of obedience. And the first thing this psalm teaches us to sing from a heart of hope is learning to long, learning to long to be with God. Verse one, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, Lord of heaven's armies, as would be another translation. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Our vision to long for God starts with an awe of who God is. Our longing starts with an understanding of God's greatness and the loveliness it is to be with a God who's not like us, but is perfect, flawless, entirely good. Even your best friend, your spouse, your uh, the, uh, parent, the, the most intimate, good relationship, a full of love, won't hold a candle to what it's like being embraced by God one day. Those are just tiny glimpses of what this magnificent God of dwelling with him will be like. And have you seen or heard of people fainting when they meet celebrities? You can Google Taylor Swift fainting fans. It's a whole thing you can watch. And guess what? Jesus is bigger and better than Taylor Swift. (laughs) Jesus is for absolutely everybody, unlike her tour's Ticketmaster debacle. (laughs) Gotta say it. And usually we think longing is a bad thing. We don't do longing great. We don't handle disappointment great, especially if you're an American. It's not a thing we love to talk or even deal with. We think it'll lead to despair, our longing. We didn't get the job. We didn't get into the right college. We have dating woes, marriage woes, financial woes. But instead in this psalm, spiritual longing is described as joy, that our heart and our soul, the central part of who you are, would sing for joy, that we would, says, use our body, use our flesh to sing. Why? Well, verse three turns our mind to God's creation. Look at these precious words. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. We sing for joy because we are made by God, but we're also made for God. You are meant 
to be in God's presence. To put it another way, you are meant to be home. You are meant to belong. You will always be wandering and never finding rest until your heart finds its true home in God, both now and forevermore. Our soul longs to go home. It longs to reach the creator's careful hands like a nest. Ecclesiastes 3 says he sets eternity in the hearts of men. There's an ache in all of us to return to God. We're broken by sin and we express it in all sorts of ways. But in Christ, it redeems it to let that ache be real, to be in God's presence. Have you ever held a bird? Have you ever held like a little bird in your hand, felt its tiny but rapid heartbeat? You can stroke your fingers over the top of its sleek feathers. You can feel the warmth of the down beneath its tiny, tiny feet sit in your hands. And it's such a gift because everything can eat a bird. They're in danger all the time until they build and find a particular nest and they sleep and look so peaceful. They lay their young, even though they're in constant danger. Our longing is realizing that we too live in a dangerous world, but belong in the Father's nest. That our heart will never slow down until we fold our wings and rest in his loving care. Our longing is a joy to dwell on the moments in the past that we felt God move, to pursue God's presence in the now. But even I want you to fantasize about what it will be like to be with God. God has given you an imagination. That's what these people are doing. They're imagining what it'll be like when they get to Jerusalem. But some of this language is so big, they're imagining anointed one coming, not just a good king in Israel, but the final king, not just a Messiah for now, but the Messiah. They had to long and imagine. They hoped for a savior to come. We have a savior who's come and is coming back. Redeem your imagination by dwelling on the lovely things of scripture as true because they are. It's a real hope. It's not a wishy-washy, I wish this happened hope, but it's a sure hope that just as Jesus said he would come, so he said he will come again to let your heart overflow with hope and imagination that one day you will be in his nest, you will be in his arms. But church, longing can be hard. It's emotionally taxing to long. Because to truly long, you have to reckon with the losses and disappointments of this life. There has to be something to long over, to realize our relative helplessness and choose the worship of the Lord of hope instead, this longing to be with God. And instead of longing, too often we take shortcuts. We choose other lesser hopes. Instead of longing to God over the world's ills of violence and hate and frustration and suffering, we take shortcuts like pursuing power to dominate others, ugly politics, self-righteousness, 
We pursue social media hot takes for likes instead of the warmth of God's love and a hopeful heart. Instead of longing to God over our bodies and their changes and limitations, we take shortcuts of vanity, needing approval, cultural conformity, wanting anyone to call us beautiful, only to find that beauty and approval are elusive. And the mirror and the scale can both be cruel masters. Instead of longing to God over our purpose, our desires, our vocation, our our, our family, our hopes for family, even our mission as a church, we take shortcuts of growing cynical, playing scorekeeper, becoming the judge, a critical hearts, fall prey to all various types of addictions that distract ourselves. Christian, instead of shortcuts, you can trust God to long to him And according to this psalm, your longing sounds like singing. It's real specific. Your longing is a powerful tool like a chisel in the hand of God. You long and he hammers and makes your heart into the beautiful place that beats in his hands, that your longing blooms to a hope that's indestructible because it lands in Jesus himself. Amen? Singing from a heart of hope means you learn to treasure God even when it's tough. To treasure God in your suffering. Look at verse five. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God and Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Who is a blessed person? A blessed person is whose heart are the highways of Zion. People with their heart set on God alone. What a picture that if God were to open up your heart, he would just see all the maps of you pursuing and sojourning on to him. Imagine it like Marauder's Map and Harry Potter. Just be all these maps that all my ways are always towards the Lord, the highways to his heart from mine. In verse six, it says they walk through this valley of Baca and it becomes a springs in an otherwise dry and desolate and desert valley. But the thing is, there is no valley of Baca. It's a metaphor. Because the word Baca sounds an awful like the, like the word weeping in Hebrew. It's saying when these people go through the weeping of the valley, the very worst parts of their life, people whose heart is set on the Lord, when they walk through the weepings of life, spiritually it becomes like a place where the rain falls. Instead of a place of death, it becomes a place of life. Instead of dying of thirst in the valley, the pools start to form in the desert. And it picks up on this imagery in Isaiah 43, these prophecies about Jesus who will make streams in the wastelands of our life. Remember, church, we were helpless. We were lost in the desert. We were doomed to receive judgment for our sins that when we die, that we would be judged by God and judged justly and sent to eternal punishment. 
But instead, Jesus saves us, taking the judgment for us on the cross and through faith in him brings us an everlasting water, the salvation of God, that he pours life into our driest valleys. Our dead heart starts to beat. The forgiveness of sins is found only in Christ, that these people are treasuring God with their heart and they're learning to walk even in the driest of valleys, trusting that the gospel rain will be falling and provide for them. People who trust the Lord this way pray because they know God is listening. We know God is our shield. We can treasure Jesus, the anointed Messiah, as our only hope in good times and bad. And our problems become the path to treasure and worship God for who he is. And for me, I didn't really understand the connection between my Sunday worship as a church, hope, and suffering, until I met a friend named Jenna. When I pastored at a church called Sojourn, I, I met Jenna. And Jenna was living the Louisville, Kentucky dream. I think there's a picture over there with her family. She was living downtown working at the Speed Art Museum, kind of a dream job. She got involved with the growing church plant when it was just getting started and the church would blossom and grow and become the sojourn. She would meet and marry a man named Blake. And the years would pass and she'd have little Anna Claire in 2014. But in 2015, when Jenna was 33 and otherwise a happy, beautiful, smart, healthy woman, she was diagnosed with advanced colon cancer. Within six months, the cancer had spread significantly, including into her brain. And over the next two years, it would be a difficult up and down battle, month to month, between chemotherapy, radiation, various surgeries, all in a fight for her life. And we did everything. We prayed. We anointed with oil. We at the photographers and videographers, we, we raised money. We found ways of rest for family and, and vacations and, and all, all sorts of love and encouragement to fight with her to the very, very bitter end. And something happened. Jenna did not get better. But Jenna insisted for the last two years of her life to sit near the very front of church each Sunday, mostly standing in worship, holding Anna Claire as long as her arms could, and to worship God so passionately with her arms raised high as her body slowly surrendered to cancer, worshiping Jesus with an indestructible joy, real with her pain, real with the tears rolling across her faith, holding her husband, Jenna experienced a deep transformation of never feeling closer to God. It's a picture of her Christmas tree from the blog she kept. And through her worship, God also transformed our church. It transformed people around her, her friends, her family, and me as I sat down the row with my fussy Eloise, a year younger than Anna Claire, us four years younger than Blake and Jenna, each Sunday are fighting through tears and worship 
praising God and started to transform me. See, worship wasn't about if I'm feeling it or if I like the song or this or that or the other. It was there's a God to be worshiped and I'm gonna find joy in the fullness of God's presence with his people. Jenna was learning and teaching us to worship in the valley of Baca of life. That you can worship and weep. And that the gospel is true, that we can hope in God when all seems lost. And when people asked her, Jenna would tell people, there's nowhere else I'd rather spend time than worshiping God passionately, surrounded by my church who loves me and the same people who love God with me. And it made worship real to all of us. Hope longs for God. And Jenna died in 2017. Yet truly, Jenna is very much and more alive than any time before. Right now, before the great King Jesus, still worshiping with hands held high and cheering on all the saints, including us, to live for eternity. Live with hope in your heart, singing to the only true King. This is why we can worship with hope in the valleys of our weeping. Because the gospel's true. That he'll meet us with pools in the valley. And there's just more to come. The heart of hope learns to treasure God in the tough times. And it learns to trust God in the very present tense. Verse 10 says this. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And tents were fancy and a good thing back then. For the Lord God is sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. How might you burst into song to believe deep down that a single day before God is worth more than a thousand earthly lifetimes? How might you burst in the song to believe that holding a door in God's house is better than anything this world has to offer? How might you burst in the song to realize the Lord is our son, the Lord is our shield, and the Lord honors us as his people? It was an honor to know Jenna. It's an honor to know the true King Jesus. It's an honor together to be God's temple and to get to worship. What a special privilege that God has given us. How might you burst into song if you start believing that God is withholding no good thing from you? He does not withhold one good thing from the one who walks uprightly before him. If you were to drop all your grudges against God, and remember, our God isn't the weak God of Hollywood or pop culture or books, where the theme often is, The people are righteous to be mad at God and now they have to bravely define their new morality and vision for their life. 
And that's what's celebrated in our culture. But that's human-centered vanity. And it would be a great philosophy if you were the center of the universe. But it turns out we're not. And the God of the Bible lovingly is the center of the universe. And God says, your emotions are welcome. He wants your big, true, ugly, unrefined feelings to be brought to him from the depths of your very soul. And God is ultimately God welcoming you to worship with all of your longings, all of your pain, that Jesus came into this broken world by choice, not to avoid our suffering, but to say, bring it on, that you are my people, that I am the shepherd of the flock, and I will take you to still waters and green pastures. In worship, Jesus is welcoming you to his glorious presence with the hope that hope would overwhelm you that you would get to a place where you could say God is simply bigger, that God is bigger than whatever our problems are, that God is bigger than any of our evils of the past, that God is bigger because he's welcoming us into eternity where guess what the agenda of eternity will be? But the worship of God. And instead of being boring, it will be all satisfying. We'll be satisfied like nothing else will satisfy you. And we get glimpses of it here. On Sunday, in the Bible alone, pouring out your heart, that worship is a precious thing that you can access your God. And we can trust God in the present tense, not just in the future, not just because of the past, but you can trust God right now. And the right now trust of God is where the fire of worship burns the hottest. Hebrews 12 calls God a consuming fire, thinking about the Old Testament, that God can burn away and worship anything that's keeping you from worship. That God is a white hot worship of God, starts with trusting God with your present tense issues, problems, sins, and failures. will fire your heart to worship. Listen, church. Our Lord God is a sun and a shield to us. We are blessed to trust him. Listen to how 2 Corinthians put Christ at the very center of our hope and just gives us reasons to worship with all of our soul. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, The amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That's what we're doing in worship. Amen says, I agree. This is true. Yes. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Just like we talked about last week, standing firm in Christ. It's God who does this work. It's not building yourself up to be the best. It's instead trusting the best. He anointed us just as Jesus is anointed as Messiah. Now we share in his body. He set his seal of ownership on us. What's that? He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come, just like Ephesians 1, as you've read in your community groups. You have a spirit inside you urging you to worship God because that is right and true. Don't deny him. Don't grieve him. Suspend how you grew up. Suspend bad teaching. Suspend the anxiety or nerves or all the things and say, I have a spirit of the living God inside me that says for me to worship him because all of eternity is hanging before me. 
for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. How can that be? Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Our light and momentary troubles are only light and momentary in comparison to eternity. That means we can trust God with them. We can take them to one who has more power than us, who is bigger and better than us. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, but rather we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. You can boldly enter your problems, not go to distraction or addiction or whatever else, because your gaze is set on heaven, on Christ, and God will be working through those things to make you a worshiper in every valley of Baca in your life. God is doing something enormous in your life through the chisel of hopeful longing in him. He is building us to be a new and renewed people over and over. Hope is a powerful thing. It can make you endure. It can make you work. It can make you celebrate. It can make your chest explode with song, even if you're a terrible singer. Terrible singers, welcome at Citizens. I am the chief sinner in that way. And when we hope rightly, we can long in the light and momentary struggles with our worship. Worship isn't just for when we're happy, healthy, and wealthy or feeling it. In fact, that's where God's people usually go astray. Worship is the response when longing is all you have. Do you feel desperate for God? Could you pursue God to ask, why am I not more desperate for you? What am I hoping in that makes me not feel all that desperate for God? Church, will you long with a heart of hope with me? Will you bring a heart of worship to Jesus on Sunday as a declaration of hope that my work week doesn't define me? My home life doesn't define me. My friends, my relationships don't define me. But rather, I have a hope in a God who's risen from the dead and reigns forevermore and is coming back for me. Will your worship be a witness to new folks here at Citizens, but also the watching world of the realness of God? Will you shock the world by being a people of wild hope, even when the worst happens?